I've been, uh, I don't know what, what order we even want to take some of these uh, stories in, but man, we got some interesting stuff. I'm very curious. Like one thing that I'll say is since we started splitting into two episodes where we have a, a dedicated sports episode and then a dedicated everything else episode, basically, yeah. uh, you know, it hopefully gives us a little bit more time. Uh, we we're still, you know, we probably won't have enough time to get through everything like we never do, but man, there's, there's a good range of topics tonight. So, um, yeah, I think we just jump in. I'm sure people have not heard most of this stuff before, or if they have, they definitely haven't heard it broken down like this. So I like it. If, uh, yeah. If you're ready, I'll just go ahead and count us in. All right, let's roll. Go. T minus 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five, Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the big show. You get the horns show here, Tad and Jeff. Good evening, my friend. How are you? Good evening. Good evening. No complaints. No complaints. How about you? Hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. Like we are, like we got a absolute metric ton of stuff to be able to get through tonight, which we will get through about three ounces of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to waste any time, man. I'm just going to start rolling through and hitting on some of these stories. We'll see where we go with them like always, but we got stuff tonight that definitely people are going to want to know and hear. And uh, so, yeah, I just, I, I don't want to waste any time and uh, just jump into it. So right. first things first, man, I saw this the other day in case you were curious about whether or not we're living in scary times, total U S crude oil inventories, including the strategic petroleum reserves just fell below 800 million barrels. Now you may ask yourself, because who the heck knows when, when that would have happened. When's the last time that happened? It happened in 1985, just a few years before we even had strategic petroleum reserves. So in other words, to give you a breakdown of how this plays out, the U S now has a total of 46 days worth of supply in total reserves, which is an all time low. Just three years ago, we had 92 days of supply in inventories, 100% more than current levels. It's crazy. And so, you know, you, you, you wonder like, what is the end game here? How can you, how can you accomplish this? Because if you wanted to refill the strategic petroleum reserves, you either have to buy extremely expensive oil or you have to wait for there to be a large drop in oil prices. And neither one of those things is likely to happen anytime soon. And so what we're going to start seeing, of course, is as we've already seen a little bit of the weaponization of natural resources, right? That's going to be where things go. And, you know, this idea and and Biden said this, you know, previously that, oh, well, we can, we'll release, this is going back a few years, we'll release oil from the, our strategic reserves to help, you know, lower gas prices. Well, that's great, except what happens the next time? We don't have reserves anymore. We don't have enough to be able to impact gas prices for very long. And now we don't even have reserves. So if we do get cut off, we'd be completely screwed for lack of a better way of saying it. 
I mean, it's, it's scary when you look at this and you say, man, we're talking about energy independence. We are completely dependent when it comes yep. to oil minimally. And so I don't think, you know, a lot of people say, well, why does the government, why are they pushing so hard for solar and electric cars and all of these things? I think this is exactly why, because they know that at any point we could be cut off by the rest of the world. And if we are, we are powerless, completely powerless to do anything about it. Right. And we had an opportunity to, um, to replenish that supply when the, uh, price of, um, of a barrel got down to around 70 bucks. We were promised they were going to do it and they didn't do it. And yeah, I mean, all you got to do is just open up a few oil um, reserves here in the, in the States, which we have plenty of room to do, uh, but they refuse to do it. It's, you know, they just, they, uh, they hate American people is what I, our government hates Americans is what I'm, uh, is what I've, come to the conclusion of, uh, you want everyone to be in these cars that they can't afford. Uh, you want everyone to be in these electric vehicles. I think I'd sent you that article today <laughs> where, uh, where our, uh, energy, uh, um, uh, was she energy secretary? What is she? The, yeah. Is that uh, Jennifer Granholm? Granholm. Yeah. She yeah, went on a yeah. road trip in an electric vehicle to prove how great electric vehicles are. And then, realized there wasn't enough charging stations. So she sends her staff ahead in gas cars and has them reserve a spot for her at the electric stations. People end up calling the police because there, there there's gas cars taking up, um, taking up spaces for electric vehicles. I told you, I was like, this is an episode of Veep. Like this yes. would be, you know, this would be an episode of Veep if, uh, if electric cars was a big thing when that show was being produced. 100 100% 100% would have been yeah yeah absolutely comical and well nothing gets said about this like why no. am i finding this out on twitter that this happened? yeah like why like is that. this not on cnn why isn't this on fire? why are everyone saying look at these idiots out here yeah. trying to trying to say how great electric cars are not enough charging stations you're sending you're sending your staff ahead in electric and, and gas vehicles to block off <laughs> electric charging stations you can just pull up and look good for the photo office see how easy yeah. it is i plugged right in yeah 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 it just it's an embarrassment and i just it, it the only thing i can guess is is that they just do not like us very much and think we're all idiots and don't know that there's enough supply of of oil and gas in this country that if we just produced it that we would be dependent and probably could be an exporter of, of, uh, uh, of this stuff, but yeah. nah, we don't want to go that route. One of the thing too is, and this is, you know, you and I were texting a little bit about this, this whole thing with secretary Granham driving, you know, electric cars easily, easily. If she would have driven a Tesla, you could easily go and charge with no trouble. I know this because full disclosure, I drive a Tesla. And I take road trips frequently. And when I do, I've never, ever had an issue with charging with my Tesla. And I'm driving through four or five states, you know, like long periods of time, eight, nine, ten hours of driving. Stop a few times to charge. Never had a problem. The issue is that, yes, the overall charging infrastructure in the U.S. is lagging behind. This is why. All manufacturers have been moving over to what's called the North American Charging Standard, NACS. Guess what NACS actually is? 
It's Tesla's charging port. It's the one that they created that's exclusive <laughs> to their cars. And everyone else tried to come up with all these other types of, of uh, charging ports. But Tesla has the supercharging network. And so now everybody is moving over to the North American charging standard, which again is Tesla's thing. So you could, everyone could just drive. Eventually they will be able to use because Tesla is opening up the supercharger network for non-Tesla vehicles to be able to use. So here you have the Secretary of Energy. Energy Secretary Granham is going out to show how effective electric cars are, but not utilizing the by far most popular best-selling electric car in America or the most prevalent charging network in America so therefore she has to try to find these little, you know, electrify America and EV go and these other kind of like random ones that you see like two chargers in a target parking lot somewhere. Right. And, and that's why, and then naturally, yeah, it's not going to go that smoothly. And this is because for whatever reason, this administration has stubbornly been opposed to Elon Musk and Tesla and all of these things, even when they were touting, and this is going back a couple of years ago, tax credits and things like that. And they had the list and they brought in all of the people that oh, yeah. ran all of these manufacturers. Elon Musk not invited. Right. What are you thinking? Like you yeah, literally put Chevy Elon and Ford in and yes. all those people. And you're like, what? Yeah. It, the guy who put electric vehicles on the map <laughs> yeah. and is single handedly responsible for where electric vehicles stand today. Because I, I promise you. Nobody would be putting all of their effort into electric vehicles if Tesla had not proven to be a tremendous success first. So the guy that put it on the map, you don't even want to talk with him. You, you're opposed to him. And it's just this unbelievably stupid, short-sighted behavior that creates issues. And, and so, like yeah, then, then, and for the non-converted people, they look at this, this, how have you helped your cause? If you're Secretary Granham, how have you helped make your case? What you've shown people, the people that are maybe lesser educated about it or don't know anything, yep, there you go. Prime example why electric cars just don't work, right? There's no no way this this can this can work. You can't charge them. Well, no, you can, and they work really well, but not in that way, not in that setup. And so you're actually, <laughs> right. you're hurting your own calls. So exactly. then you have to ask yourself, is that what they're trying to do? Are they trying to hurt it? Are they that inept or are they trying to hurt? their own cause and intentionally shooting themselves in the foot. I don't know what the answer is, but it is yeah. bizarre behavior. It's a hundred percent bizarre. Yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah, I just thought it was hilarious. Like yeah. you're doubting this and you're sending people ahead in gas cars to block. Yes. <laughs> yes. People I mean, have to call the on. police. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, come on, man. Jeez. Well, and then, you know, it keeps going because, you know, we, we talk about, and you mentioned about, you know, how like they want you in these expensive cars. They want you doing all this stuff. They want you in debt, right? That That's the whole idea. Well, the U.S. is now paying approximately $2 billion per day in interest on federal debt. $2 billion a day in interest alone. Okay. Just interest. This has doubled since the pre-pandemic levels of about a billion dollars a day. Since 2020, the U.S. has added an historic 
trillion dollars to the national debt just since 2020. Here's the scary thing, though, as if all of that wasn't scary enough. 31% of that outstanding debt is going to mature within the next year. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means it has to be refinanced. But that refinancing is going to come with way higher interest rates because look at where the rates are now. And so it's very likely that we will be seeing the U.S. spending $2 trillion in annual interest expense within 10 years. $2 trillion, not billion. So when all of this debt matures, that really right now, if there's any reason to believe that rates will go down, it's because of this. It's because the government may not want to cut their nose off despite their face. When they have to refinance their own debt and a third of it is coming due, they don't have the money to pay it. So they're going to have to refinance it. It actually would help them to cut those rates way down when they have to turn around and refinance their own debt. Yeah, It's amazing. Yeah. And you wonder if it's going to put any pressure on the feds to lower exactly. the rates. Um I, I don't, and I don't think they will. I, I, I just, you know, <laughs> it, it's incredible. embarrassing. Yeah. It, again, it's embarrassing. We need like uh Dave Ramsey in here to, uh, <laughs> all right, well, what you got to do here? Now tell me what you, <laughs> tell me what your annual income is. <laughs> you're just, you're overspending. Clearly it's just a spending issue. Yeah. I, you I, wouldn't run a household like this. You couldn't right. run a household like this. No, no. And again, like, we talk about it, I feel like, every week, but you're sending these billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine. You're sending money here. You're sending money there. You know, you got the whole issue in Morocco now that you're like, all right, how much money are we going to be mm -hmm. sending there? You know, he, Biden's already come out and be like, hey, got our full support. Well, full support isn't like thoughts and prayers. That no, usually ends check. up. That's usually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I, I mean, can we just cut back spending? Can we stop spending money? Is that the answer? Is that the issue? You know, I, I don't know. Can we be Michael Scott and just say, I declare bankruptcy <laughs> real loud and start over yeah. again? Because what's the answer? How, like, there has to be, you know, it, and the answer is, is that you just raise taxes and you raise everything else on everybody else. But if you're doing that, you're not, you're not saving, you know, it's not like you're, you're raising it to be like, Hey, you know, we're raising this to put money towards our debt. Yeah. I would probably gladly, you know, if, if they just taxed every single person $5, every single paycheck, that's across the board, you know, maybe, you know, you, you adjust it a little bit here and there, right? You know, $5 to some people is a lot of money. Sure. But for most people, five bucks isn't crazy. So if you came out and said, I'm taxing everybody $5 on every single paycheck, and here's where it's going to, it's going to pay this debt. I think so many people will get behind it and be like, yeah, makes sense. All right. You're going to make our country stronger. You're going to make the economy stronger. Let's do that. But you're not like, you know, you've got all these special interests and all these other people that are coming in here trying to take a bite of this and bite of that. You know, we've got a... You know, we, we, we want to send money to Hawaii, but we got to wrap that up in a package to send more money to some other country. And, dude, when does it end? Like, is it just going to end with just a total and complete collapse? And maybe that's what everybody wants, you know? Maybe our leaders yeah. are just pawns in a bigger, you know, a, a bigger, you know, a, big, a bigger thing, you know, where they're just being used to collapse this country. I don't know what else it could possibly be 
because this is insane. At some point, you just say enough is enough. We can't do this anymore. And you start figuring something else out. Like you don't print more money. You can't, you know, you can't start, keep taking more money from, from your citizens. Like you just got to do something else because this clearly isn't working. Well, no. And the thing here, like, this is really where the, the, the problem comes in. It's gotten so bad when you're paying $2 billion a day in interest. How do you get out from under that? Right. Like, so, so eventually you're going to have to default. Like this country will have to default. They will have to get to a point where they just can't make their payments because when you owe $2 billion a day and you go, well, okay, 2 billion a day. Yeah. I mean, they can pay it. Yeah. But every day, every week, every month, every year. And that number is good. And now when they refinance that debt, a third of that debt has to be refinanced within a year. And the rates are two or three times what they were when it was taken out to begin with. And now that 2 trillion or 2 billion a day turns into, let's just be conservative and say 5 billion a day, $5 billion a day. Okay. So now Let's let's extrapolate this just a little bit. Five billion a day, thirty days in a month. That's a hundred and fifty billion dollars a month. Now, as much as we complain about how much money that we've sent Ukraine, that's one month of interest payments. That's all we've given to Ukraine right now in the grand scheme of things. And then if you said, okay, well that's what it is times three hundred, or I'm sorry, hundred and fifty and twelve months. I mean. I don't know what, what it is when it's above a trillion. It's like, that's like $2 trillion a year. Like, I mean, it's just insane, insane numbers that you just can't even wrap your head around. And this idea that it's like, all that's happening is we're just putting band-aids on all these gunshot wounds and we're just hoping like, Oh, let's just put this here. Oh, okay. Well, what's that? We get, we need to get rid of all this money that we printed. Okay. Well, let's jack all the rates up. Like, Oh, well that's not, well, well now we got to refinance our own debt. We don't have enough money to pay that debt down. So let's, let's, uh, what are we going to do? The only thing that you can hope is that we get to a point where it, it makes more sense for them to cut the rates because the problem is these, this rate hike is not having the intended consequence. And the reason is because housing is way, way, way down. Mortgage applications are the lowest they've been in like 20 plus years or something. Like nobody's buying houses because everybody is in their houses that they got with extremely low interest rates. And nobody's going to sell right now because then they know, okay, if I have a a million dollar house or even a $500,000 house or even a $300,000 house and I sell it now, even if I have good equity in the house because the market's gone up, I got to buy the new house but the interest rates t- twice as high as what I have right now. I'm getting less house for my money. So I'm just not going to move. I'm not going to do anything right now. Yep. Okay. Well then how is that helping the economy? How is it helping to get rid of anything? You're not stopping inflation. People are just aren't selling their houses. Problem solved. You know, that's the thing where we're, we're, we're just chasing our tail on these things because we're implementing all of these things. I'll tell you years ago, We've talked about on the on the show before. I'm from Maryland originally. Years ago, Maryland passed what they called the millionaire tax, which was, you know, you make a certain amount of money and after after that you actually pay an increased tax rate, right? So what do you think happened? 
the millionaires. They did not just, see any of that tax money. The millionaires, <laughs> millionaires moved out of the state. Oh, you mean they didn't gladly give their money away? <laughs> yeah. They oh, just said, weird. okay, well, I'm already rich. I'll just move to Virginia. Hence the explosion in, in growth in Northern Virginia. Because all of this money and all of this massive increase in, in taxes being paid in Virginia just to avoid this tax here. I'll go to Pennsylvania. I'll go to these other places. And I just won't pay it. So what ends up happening is you lost the money you would have made had you just kept everything the same because you drove the people out that you hope to make all the additional money on. And that's the same thing that's happening is we're saying, well, we'll raise rates and we'll make up for it. No, you won't because people aren't selling their houses. So it's not doing anything. And so then you go, okay, well, how are we going to stimulate? Well, I guess, are we going to lower the rates? It's just, it's not a good situation. And when you look at that and then you compare it with what's happening with oil and energy in general and all of these other things. Uh, and then of course, all of the money that the government's giving away and just, it's one thing after another, after another, you, there's just no way to keep up with it. No, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> that's all you can do. That's all you can do, <laughs> but I declared it. Yeah. That's it. It has been declared. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, I, th- I just thought that some of that stuff was interesting. And then I saw this uh, headline, uh, the CEO of the Turkish crypto exchange Thodex was uh, sentenced. He stole $2 billion from customers. Mm-hmm. And I will give credit uh, to the nation of Turkey on this. They have found a way to really discourage this type of crime. Because this gentleman was sentenced to 11,196 years in jail. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that'll do it. If you, if you, The next guy is probably going to uh, learn from that a little bit. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. He, and I guess he, uh, his, his siblings got the same sentence. So the Anatolian Ninth High Criminal Court sentenced him along with his two siblings to the same jail sentence. And technically that sentence is 11,196 years, 10 months and 15 days in prison, along with a $5 million fine. The Turkish crypto exchange was one of the largest digital asset trading platforms in the country before it abruptly imploded in 2021. The exchange halted services on the platform without prior notice, and the founder fled the country along with users' assets totaling $2 billion in crypto. Now he's doing over 11,000 years in jail. <laughs> How do you even give him 11,000 years? I mean, I feel like 200 years is probably enough. Like, you'd probably well, yeah, I guess we're really... Uh... Make an example out of this guy. Really make an example. <laughs> and there it is. There it is. There it is. Two billion dollars that you stole. Yep. Bro, you could have stole a hundred million dollars and probably no one would have blinked an eye. That's right. It's just like I it's amazing to me that uh, like gr- like how badly greed is. And this you know, we're not a country that's any different, but no. you know you could have literally probably gotten away, probably could have just sold your stake in it and made it, you know, a hundred million dollars or more. And yet you just take off. Like, what were you going to do with 2 billion? And and how did you not think you weren't going to get caught? Someone's going to notice 
outside of apparently, you know, the United States government is going to notice $2 billion missing. Right. Um, did you, like, bro, just sell your steak. Someone would gladly bought it for $500 million. Yes. You can live more than comfortably on that kind of money. Yes. <laughs> it's just, Particularly it's in Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> I got to yeah. believe you'd be pretty good. I would think you could yeah. probably buy turkey and have all the turkeys you want in turkey for $500 million. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, it's insane. Man. I mean, good for them for setting an example. I mean, here in the United States, you know, you know, you have, uh, uh, the FTX guy, uh, <laughs> That's right. out, he was out on, uh, you know, out on bail and, you know, wasn't even going to face really any much charges after he stole all that money from everybody. And besides him just being overly greedy and a selfish person, you know, would have probably not even been in jail at this point. But, yeah. you know, it, that's, you know, that's what we do, though. We, you know, he probably, who knows what he had on, on the people that were prosecuting mm -hmm. him or how involved they were with it. But, yeah, that's us. We're like, well, all right. I'm sure you're <laughs> sorry, you know. Let's see. Not good, man. No, Not good stuff. No, so don't screw over Turkish people. That's right. Don't bother trying. No, I was reading about this the other day too. I thought this was pretty interesting. So th there was an article in the New York Times, and they were noting that a lot of California universities they publicly post their kind of what would be considered their rubric for how they assess diversity, equity, and inclusion. I thought it was kind of fascinating that Berkeley gives a low score if you say you prefer to treat everyone the same. <laughs> However, even though that's technically Berkeley's rubric, it's used across the country. And so it's unbelievable. So an applicant who discusses diversity in vague terms, such as diversity is important for science or saying that an applicant wants to treat everyone the same will get a low score. So they they want you to be very, very specific on how certain um, groups should be treated with preferential treatment, I guess, is a, is a, is a good way to be able to say. Um, so yeah, saying that you want to treat everyone the same would actually hurt your chances of being able to get in to the school. And I just thought it was kind of fascinating. You know, we've talked to someone on this show about the whole issue of diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and, you know, now with corporations, you're seeing ESG scores, you know, uh, the, uh, the social governance scores and stuff. And I just thought it was, it was kind of fascinating to think that like you could go into a college interview and that topic of diversity, equity, inclusion gets brought up. And then you say that, you know, you believe that everyone should be treated the same. And they say, Hmm, no, that's too vague. We don't we don't like that. And it would actually be held against you. That's insane. Yeah. Imagine and I just that. think it yeah, it's and it's kind of scary too, because you think like, well, also how who is able to tell you that that's not how you legitimately feel? And apparently it's come out that the University of South Carolina, the University of New Mexico, and the UMass Chan School of Medicine are all already using or adapting the Berkeley rubric. So, so did they did they tell you how you should answer or they're just saying that saying you want to treat everyone the same is uh 
is not um, is not good. Yeah. So so the, the, they give you like the scores. So what they really want and there are specific things they're looking for. They want a clear interest in knowledge of and experience with dimensions of diversity that result from different identities such as ethnic, socioeconomic, racial, gender, sexual orientation, disability, gender identity, and cultural differences. Candidates' understanding can result from personal experiences as well as an investment in learning about the experiences of those with identities different from their own. They also want someone who's aware of demographic data related to diversity in higher education. They discuss the underrepresentation of particular groups and the consequences for higher education or for the discipline. They also want somebody who's comfortable discussing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging related issues, including distinctions and connections between the terms diversity, equity, and inclusion. Someone who understands the challenges faced by underrepresented individuals and the need for all students, staff, faculty, and administrators to work to identify and eliminate barriers to their full and equitable participation and advancement, and someone who discusses diversity, equity, and inclusion as core values that every community member should actively contribute to advancing. And there's more about your work experience and things like that, you know, that, that also how that's relevant to you. But essentially, you have to be an absolute expert <laughs> and very knowledgeable in talking about this stuff for the workplace, in education, its role in public life, everything else. And I have to think, like, I don't know, if you just came from like a small town in Iowa or something like that, where there just wasn't a ton of diversity, and you said, you know what, I want to I want to go to, like, Berkeley or somewhere. I want to go, like, where there actual is, there, there's diversity. I want to be in a diverse environment because I believe everyone should be treated equally, but I want to see what it's really like there's a really good chance you would not be able to get into the score because or school because you just haven't lived with enough diversity mm. to speak about it in an educated manner. So would you say you would be then discriminated against, which is unconstitutional the last time I checked? Some could say that that would be a potential issue. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, to think like, okay, so you mean to tell me that because where I came from isn't very diverse that maybe I haven't had enough experience with it. I now shouldn't be allowed to experience it. Right. And also, and pay you for the right to experience <laughs> yeah. it because yeah. this isn't a free situation sure. paying for college. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Pretty nutty. I saw Absolutely. that and I was just like, wow. And more and more places are going to that. And I look, I'm not going to say at all that this is all wrong. You know, like, like within reason. Right. But this idea that like, if you, if you just would say that, because so I'll give you an example. They give a very low score. If you have little expressed knowledge of, or experience with dimensions of diversity that result from different identities. Right. So we talked about this, but if you just say that it's important or that you had, um, in the field of nursing definitely needs more individuals from the LGBTQIA community. If you said that, then that would be given a low score because that's too vague. Even oh. though you're saying, I believe from my experience that the field of nursing needs more 
representation from LGBTQIA people, but then you didn't follow up with very specific examples of why and how, then that would be considered a negative. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, So what if I just came up with a really good reason why everyone should be treated equal and why everyone should, I mean, I get like, that's a pretty standard generic answer. Even if it's the correct answer, like I could maybe understand that. Like, okay, yeah, I just treat everyone equal. I don't really care what I, like, I guess maybe I can understand you're trying, you know, when you're picking from, you know, you only have so many spots open for your school, you know, but (laughs) so what if I just came up with a great reason why everyone should be treated equal Is, is it, Someone needs to do that and see how low their scores uh, get. Like, yeah, I don't really think there needs to be more of a representation of LBGTQIA plus plus with minus whatever um, in in nursing. Um, what I think there needs to be is a greater representation of people that care for people and you know whatever. Uh, yeah. Clearly, I'm never yeah. going to get into Berkeley because I'm not eloquent <laughs> enough to say that. Because again, yeah. I don't care if you, as long as you're helping me. If I'm sick, I don't. I don't care who you are or what you are, what you believe, as long as you believe in the Hippocratic oath of do no harm and you're going to do everything you can to make sure that I'm healthy. I don't care who you are, but you know, if someone more eloquent than me can come up with a reasoning behind as to why shouldn't matter what you are, (laughs) you know, how identity somehow plays a factor into someone um you know getting a job as a nurse is uh, uh, that's wild you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure that's, is you know or a doctor or a lawyer or any job you know based on you know based on who you identify as like that's pretty wild i don't understand how no one can see the craziness in that yeah. but if i came up with a great eloquent reason as to why that shouldn't matter is Berkeley going to look at me and say, oh, okay, well, well you got you're us there. The <laughs> right. Are they going to say, you got us there, you're in, or are they going to say, right. no, right. So, uh, God, man, this all has to backfire, right? Like this just has to, but I, I, I it, we see more and more of it. So I, I don't know that we, that it's going to, so I, it, <laughs> no, I mean, they even say in here that, it, that it would be given a low score if your response seemed to indicate an awareness of and even willingness to support diversity, equity, and inclusion-related activities, but failed to address your specific connection to that work. So if you know about it and you're open to participating in it and everything's good, that's a low score. Because if you haven't participated in it enough and talk about it in the way that they want you to talk about it, Even if you're like, no, totally cool by me. I've never had the opportunity to participate in it, but I'd be totally down. I'd love the opportunity to participate in it. I think it's super important. Here's why. They'd be like, man, that's a low score. That's a low score. You're you're cool with it, which is fine, but you haven't actually done enough. Like, I don't know where the line is, but it seems the goalposts are moving all the time with this stuff. So it's very hard to know. uh, And all this for a bachelor's of art degree and $100,000 of debt or more. That's right. A degree you'll probably not use anyway. <laughs> exactly. People just move on. Just stop. Yeah. Like just, you know, stop pandering to these people. Stop pandering to this stuff. Find a school that'll accept you. Like a degree is a degree. I, I don't no. care. 
you know, it just find another place that will take you because this is too much. Like, okay, Berkeley, you don't, you don't want me fine. You know, you're discriminating against me because right. <laughs> I don't have the, the, the DEI uh, knowledge that, yeah. that you want me to have. So you're discriminated against me because I feel like I should treat everyone. Equal. Well, I don't need your school. Screw you. Yeah. I, I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> you know, like I, once you start losing those dollars, once enough people start, I mean, it's not that it's got to take. Is enough people to say, at least enough people that are qualified enough to get into Berkeley. Like I said, I would never right. qualify to get into Berkeley, but if enough people that are qualified to get into a place like Berkeley just say, nah, we think you're, you know, we think you're discriminatory. We're not going to your school. And they start losing that money. Maybe they'll change their ways. I mean, this is. It's the only way we can do things in this country, apparently, because it can't be any common sense. We just have to yeah. boycott all these places because nobody wants to have any type of common sense anymore. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. <sighs> all right. Um, so let me let me hit you with something else that, you know, kind of talking about diversity and everything. You know, we talked about this the other gosh, I don't know, last week, week before on the show about um New York, New York City, and some of these other places that are having this enormous debt from illegal immigrants, having to shelter them, feed them, all of these things. Uh, I think New York City was saying it was going to cost something like $12 billion over the next three years for them to be able to house the illegal immigrants. And you had a lot of people kind of saying, well, yeah, that's because they're being bussed in there by Texas and you know Arizona and these places. And so... You know, there's no doubt Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, he's had a very high profile campaign to send migrants to L.A., New York and other cities. And so, you know, you start thinking about that and going like, OK, well, then, yeah, of course, it's putting an undue burden on that place because they're being bust in. That's not cool. As if suddenly just Texas should have to deal with every one of sure. them by themselves and they shouldn't yeah. have to go anywhere else. Right. However. I did a little deep dive on this stuff. And started looking. So first of all, there are roughly 11 million undocumented immigrants now living in the United States. 11 million. And so they come across and naturally, you know, again, some of them have been bust depending on, on, you know, where they, where they came through and all of that stuff. Here's the thing though. When you break down the numbers, the migrants that are boarding the Texas-funded buses represent a fraction of the thousands and thousands of people that are coming through the border every month. The Texas busing program has sent less than 35,000 migrants to other states since April of 2022. That's enough to populate a small city. But that is a tiny number compared to the hundreds of thousands of people who have crossed the border during that period. Most of whom have probably also made their way to destinations that aren't even in Texas. New York alone has received more than 100,000 migrants in the last year, but only 13,100 of them came in on buses from Texas. Less than 13%. And so this idea that like, that's where, you know, that's really where all sure. of the stuff is, is coming. That's just not true at all. It's a tiny minuscule percentage of, of the people that are actually coming through. And what's really interesting is 
now it's an even bigger issue with Venezuelans. There are now more Venezuelans coming across the border than Mexicans. And those Venezuelans will go anywhere in the country, but they're typically going to the big cities because they don't have people in the U.S. See, the Mexicans, they come across, they have people. They may have family already here or friends or other folks that have come across the border. Venezuelans don't. And so where they do, where they go is directly to major cities because that's their best chance of being able to find work and fit in and, you know, and, and find the migrant community. So they're going to New York and L.A. and Chicago and these places, not because they're being bussed in from Texas, but just because they don't know where to go in America. So they're saying, let me go to the big cities that I've seen and, you know, and try to find something there. And so it's it's uh, it's really crazy to see, you know, how this happens and, and how, you know, the. The quick solution or the quick blame just gets put on. Oh, that's Texas doing the busing of these. No, it isn't. It's a minuscule percentage of of the, sure. the people that are actually getting bussed. And we've already talked about on the show that there are millions of people crossing the border on a yearly basis. Yeah. And so when you have that happening and you're talking about 13,000 of them got bussed to New York, it's like you wouldn't even be aware of that number. That's such a minuscule number. It's it's essentially irrelevant. Yeah. But that's how you want to spin it. You want uh, yeah. bad Republicans right. sending their people up this way. And, and again, you're the one that called yourself a sanctuary city to begin with. So, right. okay. Well, Texas didn't <laughs> right. declare themselves that. So, hey, here you go. You're the yeah. sanctuary city. Put your money where your mouth is. But if, but you, until you brought that up, like, I, you just assume, like, that's just them busing all these people in. But yeah. <laughs> it's such a small amount. But that's <laughs> not anything anyone's going to tell you about. They're not going to tell you about that. It's oh. all going to look like. Oh, well, this place that could handle all these people aren't handling them all. They're just sending them elsewhere for political gain. And like, you know, it, it, you know, it's just a big political, uh, you know, uh, show that they're doing here. And they're not. Yeah. That, that's the thing. They're not. It, you know, <laughs> when you have, you know, 10 percent or less that are being busted, uh, you know, yeah, it's very, very small amount it's just funny to see all these people backtrack and say yeah we welcome them and then when they're there like <laughs> we can't handle this I'm like yeah of That's course right. not again why do you why do you think any state is able to handle all this like yeah. i just <laughs> yeah no one can handle uh, yeah well and i'll tell you the thing that is really interesting and again try finding this out on cnn i haven't seen it just recently turns out that our largest trade partner now is Mexico. It's been China forever. Sure. More recently, Mexico overtook China as the U.S.'s largest trade partner. So don't you think that that could be awfully influential on your immigration policy? When the country that you are most reliant on for money and goods is the one on the other side of the border. And magically, we're welding the doors open. We're making sure the border is wide open for anyone to come across. And then we're just having to figure it out as we go inside the country. And look, I'm not anti-immigrant. I am not anti-Mexican or anything else. Like in any, And I know you're not either. Neither of us in any way, shape, or form. We're not these these people that are like complaining about immigrants coming and taking our jobs and like all this type no, of stuff. That's what America's founded on. <laughs> yeah. The issue is 
A, there has to be a plan for it. And B, it has to be done in such a way that it is possible to make sense. And in reality, it's totally self-serving and money motivated that, and, and look, say what you will, right? And, 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 you know, we talk about it all the time. We're not Republican. We're not Democrat. We're not conservative. We're not liberal. That's not what the show's about, right? We just look at these things and we try to apply common sense to these situations that oftentimes don't seem to have any common sense involved in them. Right. And it's not hard to understand. Okay. Well, wait a minute. We went from a few years ago wanting to build a wall to now that Mexico is now our biggest trade partner. We're selling off that the pieces and parts of that wall for pennies on the dollar. We're opening the doors and letting anybody walk through because we need an ally. And China seems to be getting awfully cozy with Russia. We're on the Ukraine side. And so what are we going to do? Right. So got to have somebody, got to have some friends. We don't have a whole lot. The reality is that, you know, in this country, it's always been one of these things where we just feel like, you know, we're a superpower. and We're the last great superpower and the greatest country on earth and blah, blah, blah. But when you do that and when you say those things and you talk about yourself like that all the time, eventually it becomes a pretty lonely place because you don't have any friends. You don't have anyone who's on your side. People kind of get sick and tired of hearing you talk about yourself like that. And so next thing you know, you start looking at people that want to knock you off. And there's a lot of them right now. And, you know, we have allies only as strong as our finances are. People want our money. That's it. They don't care about us for any other reason. And as we've just been talking about, we don't have any money. (laughs) The money's (laughs) running out. We can't even pay the debt that we owe people. So then at that point, how are you supposed to to get any help? How are you supposed to have people, you know, uh, aid you? When when they don't have any money either, the only money they had they were getting from you. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me, man. Nope. And you wonder too, like how like Mexico feels about all of their people coming to the United right. States. Like, are they happy? <laughs> right. Like, they're like, yeah, thank goodness. That's the less people yeah. we have to worry about. You know? But then there's no Good border question. between Venezuela and Mexico, so they can right. just come through. Like they're coming through their country. Like no. We'll study that one a little bit more. I haven't gotten a yeah. chance to dive into the Venezuelan-Mexican yeah. border conflict, but yeah. I'm sure there's issues there. Right. I mean, maybe Mexico doesn't care because they're just passing through. Passing through, <laughs> just, yeah. Just, yeah. Just passing through, yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Crazy, man. And so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just thought, you know, some of these things are very, 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 you know, fascinating when you look at the breakdown because, again – we're talking about sustainability. How are any of these things sustainable? How can you have hundreds of thousands or millions of people coming through the border on a, on a yearly basis? How can you have 11 million undocumented illegal immigrants in the country today as, as we sit here and that number is only continuing to grow? And then what happens? Well, is it a coincidence that parties want them to be able to vote right we let you in the country on the condition of being able to get your vote and so you know i don't think it's a coincidence that the democratic party is very open to having them come into the country and then 
turning around and then saying, well, no, they, they should be able to vote. There's no reason why they can't vote. They're residents here. They live here now because you just bought their vote by letting them come into the country. Yep. Needless to say, if you're the guy who's saying build a wall and keep them out, <laughs> you're probably not getting those votes, uh, you know, from, from those people. Exactly. So, right. you know, it's really, really interesting to see how all of these little things connect together. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's just one of those things that's just out there in the open. It's just they're not even trying to hide it at this point. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right. Well, anyway, that'll that'll do for that. Uh, I got a couple other little things that'll be pretty quick before we wrap up um, because we are trying to keep these episodes under an hour. We've said that we're trying to do that. We sure we're trying. Yeah, we try. So just don't don't get upset with us. We're trying. But uh, but uh, before I jump into these, did you have anything that you I know you had some things over the course of the week. I know we talked about a few things. Did you have anything that, that needed to be covered or have we kind of touched on everything? No, I think we hit pretty much everything we wanted to talk about. So, OK, so I had a couple stats and some interesting things here that I'll kind of utilize as we're starting to move uh, toward a close here. One was about the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, we've been talking a few times recently about San Francisco and what's happened there and how the city's falling apart. Speaking of, I just saw a commercial for San Francisco about trying to get people to San Francisco. Have you seen this commercial? Yes. I told my wife and, you know, she tries to stay even further away from politics and everything (laughs) else going on in the world. And I was like, this is unbelievable that they are having this commercial about come to San Francisco. Meanwhile, like every tourist is getting their car broken into everything. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, sorry. I saw the commercial and I died when I saw that. I was like, that is unbelievable that they have this commercial running right now. If it's the same one that I saw, it looks like it was put together by like high schoolers. It's not yes. particularly well done. No, they spent Six million dollars on that advertising campaign. <laughs> of course, they did. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. I was reading about this. San Francisco spent six million dollars on that ad campaign, and it's seriously you could have gotten somebody off a of Fiverr to be able to do it. At, you know, for 150 bucks, six million dollars. Now, that's not just the one commercial. I'm sure there's probably more to the whole campaign. Sure. But six million dollars. Come on, it doesn't make yeah. sense. But yes. Yeah, so anyway. Yeah. San Francisco. I was looking at a couple things here. The Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco was built in 1937. Mm-hmm. The cost to build the Golden Gate Bridge, this is adjusted for inflation, was $700 million. It took them four years to build the Golden Gate Bridge. They were able to complete it ahead of schedule and significantly under budget. Now, they have nets under the Golden Gate Bridge, like on the sides, so people can't jump off and commit suicide. Those were installed in 2023. They cost $400 million. (laughs) It took six years to get them installed. They were behind schedule by several years and over budget by five times what was originally projected. So to build the whole bridge itself... Adjusted for inflation was $700 million. The nets cost $400 million and took two years longer to install than to build the whole bridge. 
and you wonder why we're having problems. Uh, that's just, yeah. that And that's people just taking advantage of everything. And yeah. we, we don't, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, you need more money? Cool. No problem. You know, not like, uh, we're not giving you a dime more. You better finish this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I wonder how well those nets work too. I know. Seriously. I mean, I, I just brought up, uh, you know, on the screen here so you can see them or anyone watching on YouTube would be able to see it. Uh, for uh, people listening on the podcast, it's just very simple. One picture of the Golden Gate Bridge from a distance, and then the other up close of these nets that run along the bridge. Um, that's it. It's pretty daggone simple. You can't imagine that would have taken six years and $400 million to put in. Unbelievable. Yeah. Those are some good nets sometimes. Yeah, that's it, man. Best nets money can buy. Yeah. So anyway, thought that was kind of crazy. And then uh, we're going to wrap up this. This could have gone in our sports episode. This will be the last thing we touch on tonight. Could have gone in sports. Decided to use it for this one just because I just thought it was an interesting stat more so than it was really sports related. In a 1974 interview with the Beaver County Times, NBA Hall of Famer Pistol Pete Maravich. Of course, you know, Pistol Pete Maravich, one of the great players Incredible, incredible player. In this interview in 1974, Pete Maravich says, I have no desire to spend a decade in the NBA only to face a heart attack at the age of 40. Remarkably, he did indeed play professional basketball for a decade spanning from 1970 to 1980 and tragically passed away from a heart attack in 1988 at the age of 40. Oh my gosh. So the exact scenario that he said, which again, weird enough that you would have even been that specific in an interview to say, I have no desire to play basketball in the NBA for a decade, then die of a heart attack. He plays for a decade. He dies of a heart attack at the age of 40. It's also insane to think that that happens to Pete Maravich, who again would have been in incredible shape and everything else. It just goes to show when it's your time, it's your time. And you know, it just is the way it is, but yeah, I thought that was just a a pretty insane story to think that like sometimes you got to be careful what you put out there. You know, your thoughts, your 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 words, they carry weight. And sometimes you introduce things, you put things out there in the ether, and man, you don't know where they're going to go or how they may affect things. But Phew. it's more than a coincidence that a guy can say, "I don't want to play ten years in the NBA and die of a heart attack at the age of 40. And then plays 10 years in the NBA and dies of a heart attack at the age of 40. I mean, that's beyond like whatever the odds would be of something like that, that they would be so minuscule. You would never even think they were possible. That is insane. Wow. Yeah. Such a great player too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the points he scored. Revolutionary for his time, man. Yeah. And that was without a three point shot. Right. (laughs) Goodness gracious. The point yeah, he nobody had handles back then like Pete Maravich. No, who could dribble the ball all. like nobody's business. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, so I thought that would be a, a little way to uh, to end things off. So, uh, any last thoughts before we uh, put the sucker to bed? No, I think uh, you know. I think we're um, we're good. I don't uh, see too much else here. I think we uh, covered just about uh, just about most of everything we wanted to talk about that I can. Uh, that I can see here. So no, thank you. That's good. a win. We'll take it. We'll take yes, it. Yes, sir. All right, everybody. Well, again, as always, we appreciate our global audience. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. We genuinely do appreciate uh, 
you listening. Appreciate you following, uh, sharing our YouTube channel and our clips and following the podcast. Make sure you rate us as well. Uh, for Not every podcast platform allows you to leave ratings and stuff, but those that do, uh, and I don't even know where all does. I think maybe Apple allows you to, Spotify doesn't, I, I, I think. Uh, but wherever it does, man, you know, please do us a favor, leave us a rating, help us out a little bit. You know, we're continuing to grow and uh, we certainly appreciate all of you Absolutely. checking us out and uh, and growing with us. So with that, we will go ahead and wrap this sucker up and uh, we'll, we'll be back and better than ever next week with some exciting, exciting things next week. I'm not going to ruin the surprise, but let's just say there might be more than two of us next week. And I like it. The third one might be someone that you've seen and heard before maybe 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 so uh we'll see we've been burned before no yeah <laughs> could certainly be <laughs> i hope brian mckinney's not sleeping very well <laughs> i really hope the guilt is continuing to eat at him <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so anyway stay tuned next week we should have uh hopefully some 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 interesting uh things happening and uh some fun stuff and honestly over the next couple of weeks uh, certainly on the sports side, for sure, we we have some some fun stuff happening. So, uh, so yeah. So anyway, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, thank you for checking us out, everybody, and we'll talk soon. Good night. 